Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you this week from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from San Diego, California. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us to become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, Christians are working to help get people out of Afghanistan. Uh, We'll have one couple's story. And the Delta variant of the COVID virus is killing some in-person fundraising events. But there may be a silver lining to this particular cloud. We begin today with more news about sexual abuse and the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, since 2019, Hannah Kate Williams has been telling her story of harrowing uh, allegations of sexual abuse by her pastor father to not only Southern Baptist Convention officials, but also she followed that up by posting them on Twitter as well. For two years, she had been a key voice in pushing the SBC toward a long-awaited reckoning. Yeah, and now in her continuing bid to hold the denomination accountable, she's taking legal action. On Monday, August 16th, Williams filed suits against a wide array of Southern Baptist institutions and leaders, including the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where her father, James Williams, once worked. Yeah, also named in the suit are Lifeway Christian Resources, the SBC Executive Committee, and committee members Mike Stone and Rod Martin. And Natasha, I should say in a spirit of full disclosure here that I know Al Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, as well as Rod Martin, a member of the executive committee. The complaint alleges that church leaders failed to investigate Hannah Cates Williams' reports, defamed her as a liar and conspired to protect the Baptist denomination from a problem of sexual abuse of minors or other vulnerable populations. Uh, others, including Al Moeller, the president, as I said, of Southern Seminary, were not named as defendants, uh, but are described in the complaint as individuals who failed to follow up on allegations of abuse. Religion News Service confirmed James Williams' past employment with the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. A landmark 2019 investigation by the Houston Chronicle found about 380 SBC church leaders and volunteers over a 20-year period were involved in allegations of sexual misconduct. Yeah, that's right. That's also right about the same time that uh, Hannah Kate Williams has uh, come out with her accusations as well. And I should add that allegation might not be a strong enough word to describe the findings of the Houston Chronicle article. The Chronicle story only included those who were convicted, credibly accused, and successfully sued, and those who confessed or resigned as a result of sexual abuse allegations. So to call these mere allegations, doesn't really take into full account the seriousness of those situations. Well, our next story involves how a victim of sexual abuse is fighting back. Yeah, a woman is seeking $75,000 in damages from a Pennsylvania church that she said should have known its former pastor was preying on minors. The woman, who currently lives out of the state, out of Pennsylvania, said in a complaint filed last week in the U.S. Middle District Court that Cedar Crest Independent Baptist Church of Mount Union knew that the Reverend. Jeffrey
Jeffrey Winstead was molesting her and other girls, yet took no meaningful action. Winstead admitted to abusing the woman as a teen, and he is currently serving 8 to 16 years in prison. But the new suit, which was filed by the Andriazzi and Foote law firm of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which has become pretty well known, actually, in recent years for specializing in these kinds of sexual abuse cases, claims that some of the misconduct occurred in the church, as well as at an affiliated school and parsonage and a camp. It contends that Cedar Crest Baptist Church officials were negligent in child abuse prevention, employment screening, and in their lack supervision of Winstead, despite red flags that abuse was occurring. And finally, Warren, we've got one more story along these lines, yet another one of a victim who's fighting back. Yeah, a Christian boarding school in southwest Missouri has been sued three times this month over allegations that students were abused there. The latest of these lawsuits uh, was filed on Tuesday on behalf of a Texas teen with autism and bipolar disorder. Uh, That lawsuit accuses Agape Baptist Church, which operates Agape boarding school of negligence, infliction of emotional stress, and battery by staff and other students. These, by the way, were first reported in the Kansas City Star. Warren, we're not going to go into all the details of this case, and listeners can read more online, but that's three very similar stories this week. What is going on there? Well, first, let me say that it is far more than three. Uh, Also, this week on the Ministry Watch website, we've got the story of a Florida pastor and college professor who was sentenced to 20 years in prison on August 16th after pleading no contest to 20 charges of possessing child pornography. Uh, That conviction came to light because of a whistleblower. Uh, And another Southern Baptist pastor in Texas was sentenced this week to 17 years in prison for molesting a girl for about five years beginning when she was just 13 years old. In that case, again, whistleblowers, in this case, the elders of the church, reported their own pastor uh, to the police. So these cases uh, taken all together, I think, indicate a number of things, Natasha. First, victims, or I should say survivors of sexual abuse, are finding the courage to speak out. I think more and more people are willing to listen. That's another new development. Uh, Individually, some of these cases are truly horrific and talking about them, as we have to do sometimes here at Ministry Watch, is sometimes difficult, but they are, are horrific before we were talking about them. I think talking about them doesn't make them more horrific. In fact, it's a good thing. And though I'm neither the prophet nor the son of a prophet, as the Bible says, I predict that we'll be seeing a new wave of survivor activism in the future and that it could play an important role in cleaning up the evangelical church. Well, Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, we'll take a look at how Christian groups are helping in Afghanistan. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now let's continue with the story we promised before the break, the story of Christians who are on the front lines in Afghanistan attempting to rescue Christians and others in harm's way there. Yeah, two examples are John and Jan Bradley, who have uh, spent a lot of their recent uh, years building schools and hospitals in Afghanistan. Um, They've educated girls and provided state-of-the-art prosthetic legs for children who lost their legs in the decades-long war that has devastated that country. It's a country, by the way, that the Bradleys love. Uh, John Bradley, in fact, was a two-star general serving in Afghanistan. When he retired, he took on this uh, new work there in the country. Uh, They're in the United States states now, and by by they, I mean John and Jan Bradley, but last Sunday, while John was speaking to a reporter on the phone for the story that we posted this week, Jan was on the phone with their contacts in Afghanistan, and her task, she's trying to get 50 people that they had worked closely with out of the country. The Bradleys founded the Lamaya Afghan Foundation in 2008 when John retired as a U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General after 41 years of service. Yeah, and since then, uh, the nonprofit organization that they created has sent three and a half million pounds of humanitarian aid. That includes blankets, boots, shoes, and medical and school supplies. Uh, They even sent a full-sized American ambulance uh, to a medical clinic that they had helped build there. That's a remarkable story. Yeah, and that's just a portion of it. We've got their full story, a story that we published in conjunction with the Christian Chronicle uh, on our website. Our next story is remarkable too, but remarkable in a different way, remarkable in its strangeness. Yeah, it's an update of a story that we've actually been following for the last several months. Uh, Prosecutors in the state of Idaho say that they will seek the death penalty against a couple in the killings of the wife's two youngest children and the husband's previous wife in a convoluted case involving doomsday religious beliefs and other suspicious deaths, not in Idaho, but in Arizona. Um, The prosecutors made the announcement in court filings on Thursday of last week, saying that all three murders were especially heinous and cruel, that they were done for financial gain, and that the couple exhibited such a propensity for killing that they are likely to be a continuing threat to society if they're allowed to live. The couple we're talking about is Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell. Yeah, in Idaho, uh, Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell are each charged with conspiracy, murder, and grand theft in connection with a seven-year-old boy, uh, J.J. Vallow, and a 17-year-old, Tylee Ryan. Those are both Lori Vallow Daybell's children. Uh, The children had been missing for several months, uh, during which time police said the couple had lied about their children's whereabouts uh, before the bodies were ultimately found buried on Chad Daybell's property in rural Idaho. 
They face similar charges in the death of Chad Daybell's previous wife, Tammy Daybell, who died just two weeks before Lori and Chad were married. Yeah, in Arizona, Lori Daybell is charged with conspiracy to commit murder in connection with the death of her previous husband. Charles Vallow was shot and killed by Lori Daybell's brother, Alex Cox. Now, Alex Cox claimed it was self-defense, but guess what? Cox ended up dead himself. Chad Dable has pleaded not guilty to all of the charges, and his attorney, John Pryor, declined to comment on the matter. Lori Daybell, who has not yet entered a plea in the Idaho or Arizona cases and was ordered to undergo treatment at a mental health facility in Idaho in hopes of making her competent to stand trial. Yeah, in the Idaho indictments, prosecutors said the Daybells promoted apocalyptic religious beliefs in order to justify their killings. And a friend of Lori Daybell told investigators that the pair believed people could be taken over by dark spirits that would turn them into zombies and that the only way to free that person's soul was to kill them. Chad Daybell also ran a publishing company that wrote books focused on what he called the biblical end times. Warren, we're going to take another break. And when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of short news briefs. What do you have first? Well, a Tennessee Baptist school uh, has canceled a contract to host the anti-masking, anti-critical race theory event that was going to feature controversial pastor Greg Locke. Union University is the school I'm talking about. It's in Jackson, Tennessee, and it was scheduled to host the final event of what Locke is calling his Freedom Matters Tour. Um, Locke was going to be one of the speakers, and uh, an anti-critical race theory activist and online hoaxer named James Lindsay was going to be another speaker. Also on the agenda was conservative radio talk show host Alan Keyes. Our next article involves cryptocurrency and seems like a strange topic for Ministry Watch. Yeah, Ministry Watch often has articles that are designed more for ministry leaders, articles to help them be more effective leaders in cryptocurrency. And by that, I mean 
Bitcoin and other blockchain currencies have created both opportunities and dangers for ministry leaders. So we asked our reporter, Steve Raby, to take a look, and he discovered a few answers and a lot of still unanswered questions about cryptocurrency. One of the problems with cryptocurrency these days is simply its volatility. If you're given a gift, what do you do with it? Do you sell it right away or do you hold on to it? We look at some of those questions and try to come up with some answers. Um, We encourage, of course, all leaders to um, get their own expert advice. But I will say this article is a good place to start and it makes for pretty fascinating reading. So what's the bottom line with the article? Well, I think you'd have to say that the bottom line is to proceed with caution. Some ministries are already accepting cryptocurrency donations. In fact, the King's College, a Christian college in New York, has been accepting cryptocurrency as tuition payments. A growing number of donors are also using cryptocurrency because, as I said, it's been very volatile, and some people bought low and sold high, as you might say, and so they've been giving away the cryptocurrency rather than, in fact, selling it. And so this is a problem for ministries, uh, what to do with cryptocurrency, how to accept it, what to do with it once they get it, that they'll likely be facing for years ahead. And after taking a few weeks off from talking about COVID, it looks like the Delta variant is bringing the virus back into the news and even into the ministry world. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Late summer and early fall, which is kind of the season we're moving into right now, supposed to be a time of reopening, Uh, not only reopening after COVID, but it's also a time that schools are starting back up again and a lot of youth organizations do their recruiting. So uh, you would think that it would be a time when people are starting to be out and about again. But fundraisers um, are now discovering that they're going to have to shut down some of the in-person fundraising events that they had planned for the fall. Rick Cohen is the COO, Chief Operating Officer of the National Coalition of Nonprofits, and he said that organizations are being forced to cancel fall events and they don't have the benefit of the payroll protection program, which helped a lot of organizations get through the last wave of shutdowns and cancellations. But there's a silver lining around this cloud. Well, possibly. Uh, One example of uh, that would be a woman's shelter in Utah said that it would completely eliminate its annual fundraising events going forward because it had figured out other ways to fundraise during the pandemic. Uh, They say they've discovered that while the fancy galas are often a lot of fun, and they do offer ways to be faced to face with donors and others in your community, so to speak, they also can be very expensive. And both organizations and donors are paying attention to the optics of doing a black tie event in the midst of a pandemic. It has a certain fiddling while Rome burns quality to it that uh, some find distasteful. Any housekeeping items before we go? Well, just a couple of items. I I wanted to remind everybody that Faith-Based Fraud, my new book, is now out in both paperback and at audible.com. And, you know, Natasha, at the top of the program, you mentioned that you were in San Diego and not in your normal home of Colorado Springs. And I think that's to celebrate um, an event relative to your new book. Is that right? It is, yes. We uh, Save the Storks is hosting a worship night at the Legacy Resort, and we are gathering churches to celebrate life and to introduce them to the pro-life efforts being made. And we're able to also invite them to read our new book, Unplanned Grace, which currently is available for 
pre-sale and is at the top of the charts on Amazon within its category. So if you go to Amazon or Mardell, you can get that ordered and it comes with the free audio version. So pick it up for yourself. Absolutely. And I was looking at Amazon myself just a couple of minutes ago and noticed that it was indeed number one in the abortion and pro-life category. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And finally, a reminder to support your local church first, your favorite and carefully researched ministries second. But if you have a bit extra that you can give to Ministry Watch to help us help you and others become more effective and informed stewards, we would, of course, be grateful for your gift. If you want to make a gift to Ministry Watch during the month of August, you'll receive as our thank you gift a one-year subscription to World Magazine. That's both a print and a digital subscription. We think it's a pretty good deal. So to make a gift to Ministry Watch and get that free gift of a subscription to World Magazine, go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab up at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Bob Smetania, Cheryl Mon-Bacon, Ann Steich, and Megan Botel. And thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in San Diego, California. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>